This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. We're going to be talking about before before and after. So it's before Christ and after Christ and what happens. And we're going to be discussing in these next two Sundays, identity and position. And this week, I want to talk to you that you are more than what you think because of your identity. If you think of identity without position, it equals no authority. If you think of having a position without identity, it equals no authority. But identity and position equals full measure of authority. And let me just give you an example of what I'm talking about. If you think about Queen Elizabeth, before she became queen, she knew she was an heir to the throne once her... um, She knew that she was going to become heir to the throne once her uncle had abdicated the throne before her father then became king. So she knew she was going to be an heir to the throne. She knew she was going to be wearing that crown someday. That was her identity. But as she was growing up, being an heir and having that identity, she still did not have the position of that royal crown. So she did not have the authority of that crown at that point. Correct? So it's the same thing for us, that if we know our identity, but we are not in our position of understanding our authority, we still won't be utilizing our authority here on earth the way that we need to be. Or if you know your authority, but you still don't know your identity, that you are a son or a daughter of God, that you are a co-heir with Jesus Christ, then that too will keep you from being able to utilize the authority with the full measure that Jesus Christ has, has come to earth to give us and to allow us to, to sit in and to represent here on earth. And I believe that God calls us to three foundational things when we come into the family and the kingdom of God. And those three things are this. One, to know his message of reconciliation through Jesus Christ. Two, to know our identity as children and co-heirs. And three, to know our position of authority. You know, if I were to stand here as one of your pastors today and not speak out of my identity of knowing who God is and who he is in me. And if I were to not speak out of the position in the office of a pastor and speak with authority this morning, then you would get little or nothing from me. Correct? You know, the enemy loves to do that to you. He loves to have you either walking in none of them, being saved but not knowing your identity or your authority, Or he's okay if you're walking in one or the other of them, but not both of them. Because if you're walking in both of them, then you will be walking in the full measure of authority that Jesus Christ has given us and wants that mantle to fall on us. Amen? So this morning, if you are sitting here and there is one of those two things that you are not fully sure of, that you are unaware of, then there is a possibility that the enemy has come and will come and he will take that authority, steal it from you, and use it against you. Does anybody want the enemy to be able to use our identity or our authority against us? No, we want the full measure of what Jesus Christ has provided for us. So the question is, 
is how do we know and how do we recognize what we're missing or if we are completely walking in it, how do we know those things? One of the ways that we know those, know those things is that the Bible says this in first, or Colossians 3, 1 and 3. It says, since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, his authority. Set your minds on things above and not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God, your identity. So we're going to dig in this morning to that concept of identity. Romans 12 and 2 says this, Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. So this scripture is saying to us that it is our minds that the Apostle Paul is saying must be transformed for us to discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God, meaning our thoughts will either hinder us or they will help us to move into the deeper things of God. Amen? So what we want to do this morning is we actually want to look at that in, a, in we're going to say that in a different way, what you think you are is what you will live up to. Let that sink in there for a moment. God actually woke me up one night, and I had to, um, actually it was in the dark, because I don't like being woken up and, and then not being able to go back to sleep. So I do everything in the dark. <laughs> um, probably too much information, but I, I go to the washroom in the dark too. I, I know my way to the bathroom. Nothing, no lights get turned on. So when God woke me up, um, he woke me up with this statement, you are what you live up to. And I had to start to question him about what he meant by that. But it was basically that concept that you are what you, what you think you are is what you'll live up to. And I just want to give an example of that. You know, 12 years ago, there was a season in my life where, um, and I've been a Christian for uh, almost 21 years at this point. And there was a season in my life, so I think it was about... Oh, I don't know. Well, 12 years ago, but about 10 years into my walk with God, that I had healed, I'd been restored, I had, um, I, you know, I was a women's ministry, ministries leader, had been for quite some time already at that point. I was doing Bible studies, you know, all those kinds of things. And there just came a point where I was like, you know what, God, I'm good. I had a really terrible life. I had been on the verge of suicide, healed from sexual abuse, healed from bullying, lots of, lots of things. I was, you know, being fruitful in ministry, and I just was like, God, I'm good. I think, you know what, I've pushed and I've pursued, and I've, I think I've gone as far as I want to go. I think right now I could just, you know, settle into my marriage, settle into my family, settle into my job, settle into what I'm doing in the ministry, and I'm just going to live this nice, quiet lovely Christian life. And I literally remember sitting down in, in it was an easy chair and saying, God, I'm good. I don't, I don't need to go any farther. And the, I think the moment that I said that, what I heard the Holy Spirit say to me was, Rachel, you have become less than what you are. Come on, run. And there was something inside of me that ignited and sparked. And he immediately reminded me of when my, I was in grade 9 and I do artwork. And I, was in, I, was, um, I took my artwork to my art teacher because they had asked for a particular project to be done. And um, so I had completed it. I handed it in. And he was giving it back this day. And he asked me and one other classmate to stay behind. 
And so we did, and when we went, went to him, I thought, you know, this is going to be good. I got 100% on my artwork, so what is he going to say? And I went to him, and what he said was this. I know that both of you got 100% on your artwork, and you did exactly what I asked you to do. But I'm telling you, you can do better. What was he saying? He was saying that there is so much more inside of you. I see a talent and a skill. I see something that you cannot see because I am further along than you are. And I need you to know that you're going to have to pull it out of you. You're going to have to work for it. You've got something that you need to pursue and run for. And can I say to you today that if I did not get up out of that easy chair 12 years ago and say, okay, God, I'm going to run, I would not be standing here before you today saying, don't settle, don't back down, don't slow down, come on, run. We can come here on a Sunday morning, and maybe we've had a bad week, but we slide into these chairs and it can become an easy chair for us. And we can say, you know what, God, I'm good. I've come a long way and I'm good. I could, you know, I just want to stop right here. And now I want to live an easy Christian life. But can I say to you that when we come into the family of God, when we come into the kingdom of God, he doesn't bring us into the kingdom so that we can live here in a fallen world and just live an easy Christian life. He needs an army that's going to arise with the sword of his word and proclaim his truth. Proclaim that you have an identity. You are a son. You are a daughter. You are a co-heir with Christ. He wants you to arise in your identity and next week we're going to talk about position but he wants you to arise into your authority that you would have your identity and you would have your authority so that you can be moving in the full measure of the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit amen Philippians 3 4b to 10 says this if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith, I want to know Christ. Isn't that what we sang this morning? Lord, I love you. Lord, I need you. Lord, I want you. And I thought it was amazing how Sandra said that God wants us, uh, 
I can't exactly remember what she said, but he wants a a face-to-face encounter with you. And when that song was being sung and she was speaking those words, all I could see was a picture. And if you can imagine, uh, if you can remember what Jean looked like up here holding her baby girl, um, I saw Jesus holding a child on his left hip. And they're face-to-face, head-to-head, nose-to-nose, mouth-to-mouth. If you know children... They love to do that when you're holding them. They love to put their little faces right up against yours. And it makes them feel intimate. And I felt like God was saying, I know you, but I want you to know me as much as I know you. I want you forehead to forehead, nose to nose, mouth to mouth, face to face. I want to encounter you, but do you want to encounter me? The Apostle Paul was talking about his previous ministry gains. So he was talking about all of the things that he had done before Christ. He said they are amazing in the eyes of this world, but they are no longer amazing to me because I have encountered face-to-face Jesus Christ, my Heavenly Father, who sent him to die for me, that I would spread the word of identity and position to the rest of the world. He counted it as garbage. So his identity wasn't in the flesh And he says, basically, if someone thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. His identity wasn't in his accomplishments or pedigree or social status or his lineage or heritage or culture. His identity was in knowing God more. And that's what we want to seek as well. And he goes on to say in Philippians 3, 12 to 16, Not that I have already obtained all of this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Remember, you're more than what you think. And what you think you are is what you live up to. Paul was teaching the Philippians, you are what you live up to. If you think that your job is who you are, that's what you're going to live up to. If you think that your physical appearance is what you are, that's what you're going to live up to. If you think your wealth or your status is who you are, then that is what you're going to live up to. So a question I want to ask you this morning is, what are you trying to live up to? And you can fill in the blank. Maybe it's one thing. Maybe it's more than one thing. Recognize what is it that I'm trying to live up to. Is it money? Is it status? Is it appearance? Achievements? Paul is trying to get the reader in this particular verse to understand that what we, what we have been trying to live up to in the past is not really who we are, so start living up to what God has laid down for us. And basically what he was saying was that in the past, this was the standard of the Old Testament of what we were to live up to. 
But now Jesus Christ has come, and what we live up to is knowing Jesus Christ face to face as well as he knows us. Let's ask ourselves a question this morning. Who are the mature that the Apostle Paul was speaking of? Ephesians 4 and 13 says this, Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Those who are mature are unified and they know God. It's not just about God knowing us. It's about us also knowing God just as he knows us. And when we know God, we obtain, the Bible says, the full measure of Christ. The only way we can completely know God is obviously to have a fear of the Lord, because it says that's the beginning of wisdom and intimacy with him. But we're not talking about that today. The way that we get to know God is to understand our identity and to understand our position. Ephesians 13, well, sorry. Ephesians, yeah, sorry. Ephesians 3 and 19 also says, And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the full measure of God. The Apostle Paul here is telling the Ephesian church to live up to their knowledge of the love of God that they have already attained. And Ephesians 3, 17 and 18 says this, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. You know, we would do well to listen to the Apostle Paul. You know, one of our greatest needs as people, and, and I have gone through, um, I've got my degree with my Bachelor of Religious Education, and, and one of the courses is called Soteriology, and it's basically how did Christ save us. And, and he, there are many metaphors and analogies in the Bible of how Christ has saved us, but one of them that is seemingly missing is the understanding which Paul put forth constantly before people was the concept of adoption. And we need to understand that. We need to um, understand that we are children and that we are heirs of, of Christ and we are God's family. We are his children. We are sons and we're daughters. Many of us don't understand this concept with our whole being and therefore, we live in a before-Christ mentality instead of an after-Christ mentality. So we instead live up to an earthly understanding of who we are instead of a heavenly understanding of who we are. We often live as abandoned, rejected, orphaned, spiritually dead, and enslaved sinners instead of whom God says we really are. And he says that as a Christian, we are spiritually alive, that we are a saint, that we are adopted, that we are wanted, that we are accepted, and we are a son and a daughter of the Most High God. You know, we tend to understand positionally who we are, but we fail to appropriate who we are. Positionally, Christ has accomplished our salvation and stamped us with a new identity, but we have to appropriate it. We have to pursue it. And I would say again, 
For some of you, come on, run. You've become less than what you are. Come on, run. And it's when we realize whom we are that we realize we have been behaving below our nature and we are living short of our identity and our position and our potential. So this morning, I want to look at five before and afters and see what identity we are spiritually living up to. So we're kind of do, going to do a little test this morning. We're going to, we're going to see which ones you're kind of thinking that you might be living up to. Um, number one, are you living up to the before of law, or are you living up to the after Christ of grace? Romans 7 and 4 says this, your husband, your master, used to be the Jewish law, but you died, as it were, with Christ on the cross. And since you are dead, you are no longer married to the law, and it has more, no more control over you. Then you came back to life again when Christ did and are a new person. And now you are married, so to speak, to the one who rose from the dead so that you can produce good fruit that is good deeds for God. Galatians 5 and 4 says this, you were trying to be justified by the law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. There's a subtle difference between law and grace. And let me give you an example. 1 Peter 1 and 16 says this, For it is written, you shall be holy because I am holy. I don't know about you, but for the first um, many years of my Christian walk, I used to think that that was a standard of holiness and purity in which I had to live up to, which meant you don't do this, you don't do that, you don't look at that, you don't see this, you don't touch that. And it was something that I just couldn't seem to, to grasp because um, I kept falling short. There was, a, there was just this impossibility of living up to holiness in my own actions that I, that I just couldn't do. And, and as I was seeking God one day, he, he kept asking me to read that scripture over again. So I read it, and I, he would say, no, read it again. So I read it again. And, and finally, what happened was as I read it one final time, I felt the Holy Spirit say, no, Rachel. You don't have to work for holiness. What I'm saying is you will be holy, for I am holy. I live inside of you, and I will work out in you holiness. It's not something that you do, and it gets worked on the inside. By the grace and the empowerment of God, it's because his presence is inside of us. His divine nature, his identity is inside of us, and we are a new creation, a new person in Jesus Christ, and his holiness gets worked out in us. It changes our hearts and our minds from the inside, and then the actions appear. So there's a difference between law and grace. Law causes you to work for acceptance, and grace causes you to work from acceptance. It causes you to want to share the love and the goodness of God, and it's who you are, not what you do. There's a subtle difference. Number two. The, are you living up to the before of spiritual death or the after of spiritual life? Ephesians 2 and 1 says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. 
Colossians 2, 13 and 14 says, When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. You know, in the Hebrew, death means a separation between two things. So, for example, physical death. It, death is a separation of the soul and the body. In spiritual death, it's the separation of man and God. In marriages ended by death, it's the separation of a husband and a wife. The death to sin in flesh is the separation of Christians and sin. So are you saved but still living as if you are separated from God? I want to add something in that just ties in spiritual death with that concept of law. That if you try to live by law, it brings spiritual death because you are alienated, separated from Christ's grace. Are you living in the before or the after of your spiritual walk? Romans 6, 2 and 11 says, How shall we who are spiritual? spiritually died to sin, still live in it. Even so, consider yourselves to be separated, dead to sin, but alive and united to God in Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ is the one who died in our place that we would no longer be separated from God, but we would be separated from sin. Which leads us to number three. Are we still living as a sinner or are we now living as a saint? I don't know about you, but there, um, how many here would probably say they have it very difficult? I have a very difficult time calling themselves a saint. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, maybe we have that concept of the, of the Catholic mindset that you're, you're not a saint unless you've performed um, verifiable miracles here on earth and now you've passed away. But can I say to you that is not biblical. The biblical truth is that you are a saint. So we want to take a look at, um, you know, that concept of, and actually too, even when I was researching this, I realized that a lot of theological um, commentaries wanted to also say that we are sinners, um, and saints, but biblically, actually, if you do look at it, we are considered no longer sinners. We are considered saints that still possibly sin. 1 Corinthians 1 and 2 says, To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. So if you are here today and you are in Christ Jesus, you've given your heart to him, your sins have been forgiven, then you are called a saint. The definition of a sinner in the Hebrew is that it describes one who is subject to punishment because of his or her habitual sinful practices. In the Greek, the word sinner is defined as a person who customarily sins and is an outcast. The definition of a saint means a holy person, one who is separated out. Holy means separated out for a special purpose. We are separated out from others to reveal and proclaim God's love and his reconciliation with Jesus Christ. Who here knows that Christ is the ultimate saint because the rest of us fall short of his perfection that he attained in God in human flesh. And because of what Jesus Christ has attained for us, 
because he has separated us. When we come into Christ, he has separated us from sin and from death, and he has separated us from the, the fallen nature and given us the, the divine nature of the heavenly Father. Our identity is radically changed from sinner to saint because we identify with Christ in his death. So are we still thinking and living up to being an outcast or are we living up to the truth that we are a holy saint set apart for a special purpose? Are you living in your before or your after? A quote by Chris Valentin says this, if we've been taught that after receiving Christ we are still sinners, we will struggle with trying to do the right thing because we have put our faith in our ability to fail instead of his work on the cross. Is it possible that some of you are sitting here today and you are still stuck in slavery and captivity and bondage and you are not free because for some reason the enemy has lied to you and said that you are still living as a sinner, that you are not a saint, that the cross has not done for you everything that it says it has done. But can I say to you that you are a saint and Jesus Christ has nailed absolutely everything to the cross that you would be able to be set free. There is nothing that you cannot be set free from this morning because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Colossians 2 and 14 says, Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Number four, are you living in your before of being orphaned and rejected or your after of adoption and acceptance? John 14 and 18 says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And that was Jesus speaking. Ephesians 1 and 5b says, in love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. I want to give you just a little example of um, this concept of adoption uh, we have a friend of ours who they adopted a son, and uh, he's now in his teenage years. And unfortunately, though, although he's been adopted and accepted and wanted, he's been in their family from the time that he was born. They literally brought him home from the hospital to be in their family. And yet he is full of rage and anger because his biological parent is still alive, and he knows who they are, and he knows that now they have another family, and that he is still in the adopted family, but his, his um, half-sibling is now in the, their biological family. And this, he finds this very, very difficult to comprehend and to understand, and so he, he lives in this family where he's been adopted, He's a full son. He's a full heir. They love him with all of their hearts, but he's living as if he's still orphaned. How many of us are adopted into the family of God? We're a son. We're a daughter. We're a co-heir, but we're still living as if we're orphaned. Can I say to you today that the difference between a natural adoption on this earth and the adoption that Jesus Christ has provided for us is that when we are on earth, it's true, our biological DNA cannot change. Everything else legally lines up that they become a son or a daughter, that they become an heir to the inheritance of that family. They can be loved and accepted and wanted, but their DNA does not change. 
But when we are adopted into the family of God through salvation, through the forgiveness of our sins of Jesus Christ on the cross, then we are not only in the family and a son and a daughter and a co-heir, but our fallen nature is transformed and we have the DNA of our Heavenly Father. The Bible says that we have the divine nature of God now inside of us. That adoption is is at its fullest and final measure, you are a total son and daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So how are you living this morning? Are you still living as if you're alone and abandoned, that you need to continue to defend and protect yourself and provide for yourself? Are you still living as an orphan, or are you living as an adopted child? Jesus again said, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. You are not alone anymore, but are you still living as if you are? Number five, and this is our last question of our before or our afters, are you still living as a slave or are you living as a son and a daughter? Romans 8, 14 and 17 says this, all those led by God's spirit are God's sons. And you can put daughter in there as well. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, seeing that we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. There's something I just want to point out with that scripture. I don't know about you, but usually I try to cut that scripture off at verse 17. And if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. And I kind of seem to try to cut off that second part that says, seeing that we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Sounds kind of confusing to me. To me, when I first read that, it almost sounds like, okay, Christ, you said you've carried everything on the cross for me, so that means I shouldn't have to suffer. So I should be a son, and I should be a daughter, and I should be a co-heir, and I shouldn't have to suffer all those other things because you died on the cross for me, right? But this scripture would suggest otherwise. And to me, that kind of makes me go, whoa, okay, so what kind of suffering are you requiring of me? <laughs> what exactly are you saying? And as I was contemplating this, that, that story of Joseph uh, came to my mind, and I appreciate that Sandra was able to so graphically de um, describe that for me from last week so that all of you here already have the story. But um, as we know, Joseph was the son of Jacob, one of the sons of Jacob. And because of the jealousy of his brothers, he gets put in the pit, and then he gets from the pit to being um, sold into slavery, and then into slavery to servanthood, kind of at the same time, and then into prison. And then he finally rises up into um, a higher position. Um, but that story of Joseph is so symbolizing and representative of what Jesus Christ has done for us. 
And what I realized when I was reading that story over again that, you know, Joseph, he started out being highly favored by his father, so much so that his father had given him a coat of many colors. And he was the only one out of all of the sons that received this coat. And it was a symbol of the father's favor and the father's mantle upon him. And he knew that he was truly a son of Jacob, that he was loved and accepted and wanted in the family, that he was he was intimate with the father and the father was intimate with him. And then he went all into all of these different sufferings for a particular purpose and plan that, that God had to bring out not only his family, but nations and not only nations, but it was a representative of, of us sitting here coming out of the world. Because literally the Bible says, out of Egypt have I called my son. And Jesus Christ was called out of Egypt. And Israelite nation was called out of Egypt, and we sitting here today as Christians are called out of Egypt, which is a type of the world. So it was a prophetic symbol of that. But what I saw was every suffering that Joseph went through, even though it looked like captivity, he had an attitude that most of us just don't understand and we don't grasp. And what I realized was that he had that attitude because he knew his identity and he knew his position. So even in the midst of suffering, he knew he was a son. And because he knew he was a son and he had that mentality, he was able to stand in the midst of everything he had to go through and know that he was going to come forth. And it's the same as Jesus Christ when he came and walked this earth as the Son of God in human flesh. He went through sufferings. He went through things and carried things on our behalf that he would be the perfect representation of a son so that we would be fully able and capable to be adopted into the kingdom of God. And he revealed to us how to walk through sufferings because you know you're a child of God that you're a son and you're a daughter. And I think one of the most ultimate things that God wants to work in us, that we would have full-on victory, that we would be overcomers, is to know our identity, to know our position, to know that we are so loved by God that when we go into any kind of suffering, that we're going to arise out of that suffering because we know that we are a son or that we are a daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and that we have a heavenly father that's going to cause us to be victorious can I say to you today that the enemy loves to steal our authority and try to use it against us but I'm going to tell you this morning that Jesus Christ and our heavenly father is the ultimate chess player he is a grand master and in order to be a master in chess, you have to know eight moves ahead what your opponent is going to do. But can I tell you today that God is the grand chess master, and he doesn't know just eight moves ahead of what the enemy's strategy is. He knows the end from the beginning. 
We are going to be victorious and overcome. But he needs a people who know that he loves them. He needs a people who love him as much as he loves them. He needs a people who know that their identity and their position in him and have that full measure of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit moving in and through them. Amen? And I'm going to close with this, and I'll ask the worship team to come back. Galatians 3, 26, 29, and then verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 4 to 7 says this, So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. When the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So, you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir, identity, and position. Which reality are you living up to, your before or your after Christ? Who you were or who you are? What is your identity? this morning. Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com. 